Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. It's good to be in church, isn't it? It's good to see you and you and you and all of God's people that are here tonight. Thank the Lord for his goodness, his blessings. We're going to read one verse of scripture tonight to get our bearing and uh, deal with our subject matter from the book of Matthew chapter, in the book of Acts chapter 2. I think that's where it's supposed to be. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, I don't know why I said Matthew. Matthew's not even, yes, he is. That's what, amen. See, you was on my mind. Isn't it good to see Matthew back? Amen. Climbing around all those poles and hooking up all those lines. And thank God you don't have any scars, do you? Any burns? Man, you're smart. Amen. We appreciate all that you're doing. Amen. Amen. Anyway, not in Matthew, but in Acts. Chapter 2 and verse 42. uh, The Bible says, They continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in breaking of bread and in prayers. Let's pray right now. Jesus God, we're so glad to be in church tonight. Thank you for your MPC, for our church family, for the fellowship, the unity, the love, the camaraderie. God, thank you for your blessings, bountiful blessings on our assembly. We pray that you would help us tonight. Let your presence be so rich and real. Your anointing with us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to talk tonight about the apostles' doctrine. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Dr. Luke singles in and emphasizes this very important fact that it's the apostles' doctrine. Now, this is Right after, well, during, not maybe you shouldn't say it right after necessarily. I don't know how close it is, whether it's the same day or not. But we do know that here it is. The church is born on the day of Pentecost. 120 in the upper room had received the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. Peter had preached that tremendous message that uh, wound up with the people saying, what shall we do? And then him telling them in verse 38 what, what they should do in order to be uh, saved and to enjoy the 
blessings of the Lord like the 120 were enjoying. And then the Bible goes on in the next few verses before our text that speaks about 3,000 that were added to the church. 3,000. So this was after that. And my point is, we not only have 120, we have 3,120 at least. And Luke is saying, they, they, 3,120, 3, they, the church is what Luke is referring to here, which is a new term. It's a brand new term because before Acts 2, there was no such thing, literally, physically, except in the plan, the mind, the will of God, a church. But now Luke is recording they, that is the church, continued steadfastly. And again, if we can get it in our mind, we're not talking about five years later. We're not talking about five weeks later. We're just talking about right after. They are continuing. Their mind was made up. They have no intentions of, de of detouring or going differently. They are resting upon the apostles' doctrine. That's something that, uh, that we need to chew a little bit, I think. The word doctrine is a very important word as well as a very interesting word in our study of the, of the Bible, the Word of God. The word doctrine itself, interestingly, it's found some nine times, I believe it is, in the Old Testament. And then it's found 44 times in the New Testament. Doctrine, doctrine. There are primarily two Greek words. There are three altogether, but primarily there are two Greek words that are translated doctrine in our New Testament. And uh, I wish I was a Greek scholar. I wish, might as well don't do any good to wish that I know of. But anyway, I wish I was a Greek scholar. But uh, the first, one of the Greek, the most popular and familiar Greek word in the New Testament that's translated doctrine is uh, pronounced according to M.L. Walls, did akhe, did akhe, D-I-D-A-K-H-A-Y. Sounds like that ought to be pronounced did akhe. Uh, but anyway, it's found in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 28, first of all, that's the first place we find it, where there it reads, it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, at his doctrine. The word, actually the two words that are primarily used and translated in the New Testament, they pretty well mean the same thing. But in this one particularly, according to Mr. Strong's, it means instructions. It means teaching. So they were astonished at his teaching. They had not been accustomed to hearing the rabbis teach like he was teaching. And so they, it, it shocked them. So this, as well as the Greek word that's found more often uh, translated doctrine in the New Testament. I went through my New Testament and... Uh, I counted uh, up to 20, and then I thought that's enough. But 20 of this Greek word, this particular Greek word, that was translated doctrine, and then I stopped looking. But anyway, and the other word that's used, primarily used 
It's a doozer. It's did Oz Cal E That's according to ML Walls again, but did D I D A S A S K A L E E A A H. Did Az Cal And the meaning of the word here is, is the same primarily. It means instruction, it means the function or the information that the teaching is producing. But anyway, this word uh, is not found as often as the other one, the uh, one that's used the most. The first place this word is found is in Ephesians 4.14, where Paul says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Paul is referring to the false doctrine, those that are producing, are presenting false doctrine. So the first word is found, did ake, is found 20 times. Uh, again, that's how many I counted, and it's more than that, of course. But this one is only found 11 times. I say only, here I'm saying that again. I found it 11 times and I quit counting. But there's more. And, and the reason I'm saying all of this, I mentioned this to emphasize the importance of the, of the apostles and the responsibility of the apostles. Let me pause here and ask, I wish I had all these school kids out here, but some of you grandmas and grandpas could probably answer real quick. Like, how many people signed the Declaration of Independence? Don't remember. See, I need some of these school kids out here. Amen. How many signed the Declaration of Independence? Of course, if I was sitting out there and Brother Gill was sitting, standing up here and asking the same, I'd sit less like y'all are. <laughs> but you see, I looked it up, so I know. <laughs> 56 signed the Declaration of Independence. And I, there's some correlation, at least I want to make some correlation between those that signed the Declaration of Independence and the apostles, those 12, if we add Matthias, that were the leaders, the teachers, the head honchos, the one that were leading the church, and it was called the apostles' doctrine. The, they were responsible for what they were teaching, and the whole church, not only there at Pentecost, but in the church located on the central and Elm Street in Medora, Indiana, is still being led by and governed by what the apostles taught. Those 56 men that signed that Declaration of Independence, they knew what they were doing. And they knew they were jeopardizing their life. And you know from reading history that many of them lost their, their wealth, lost their possessions, lost their uh, house, their property, lost their lives, many of them. And the same is so applicable to these 12 men. That's, well, they stood up and said, we are the apostles that Jesus Christ chose 
to lead and direct the church. They jeopardized their lives. Every last one of them died as a mortar, except John the Baptist. And the Lord preserved him because he wanted him to write that last book, I'm saying. He wanted him to write that last book uh, before the century ended. But anyway, there is another document that is as well important in our history, and that was our Constitution. Now tell me how many signed the Constitution because that's where we have our laws. That's not where we have that First Amendment that says I'm, I can speak here publicly. I have that right. Or, or the Second Amendment. All of you big fellas, you, you're agreeing with that Second Amendment, aren't you? Can't you say amen? Because that gives you the right to bear arms. And they're trying their best to try to destroy that right. And just as in that day of these precious uh, forefathers of ours that lost uh, their lives, their properties, and whatever, the apostles suffered the same thing. And there is an element in our society right here in the good old U.S. of A. that is attacking our Constitution, our liberties, our rights, if AOL and Mr. Sanders and Miss Fizzy-Headed Warren and Schuler and some, if they had their right, they would take the Constitution and throw it into a fire and destroy it all and take us into a country that our liberties are not recognized. In fact, we'd be punished for doing it, for, how, for, for, for me standing here and you sitting there. So the, the apostles were faced with the same opposition. They didn't know, of course, what they were going to face. But anyway, let me read this, this verse one more time. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. We mentioned the voting of the, of the Constitution and those amendments and those that, were, that was connected to the Constitution upon which our government is established. There, there were 55 delegates that were gathered for the purpose of deciding and designing this Constitution. Only 39 of them, but here was more than two-thirds majority, so it became... I guess we can say the law of the land. And thank God. There was only 120 in the upper room, but at one time Jesus fed 5,000 men besides women and children. Paul said that he was above, showed himself alive above 500 at one time, but only 120 showed up in that upper room. And many would be added to the church, but many would be... Uh, persecuted and put to death as well. Let me read some more in this chapter two of Acts, beginning with verse 43. Fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. All that believed were together, had all things common, sold their possessions and goods, parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, 
breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. This is one of those passages where you, which you, 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 to get the crux of the matter, you got to go back and look at it a little closer because Luke says, having favor with all the people. And that needs to be qualified. When he says all the people, what people? They weren't having, they didn't have favor with the Sanhedrin Supreme Court. They didn't have favor with the Roman government, but Luke says all the people. There's something about us being part of the church. Amen. Everybody's not satisfied and pleased with uh, MPC, but we are. We are. God favors us, and that's all that really matters. They don't believe our doctrine. They don't accept our teachings, but we do because our teaching is based on this. But the thing that, that got a, a hold of me was to think, 12 men, 12 men that Jesus chose during his ministry and for about three years or so, he indoctrinated them. He taught them, taught them by example, taught them. There's no telling what all, uh, how much time he spent with them in lonely moments. All we can glean is what we write, read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. But there's no telling how many hours they sat at his feet, how many times he corrected them and instructed them, and gave, he gave them his doctrine, his instruction, his teaching. And it went into those 12 men but to think, and, and this is what just stirs me, to think about 12 men establish the church that is still going on about 2,000 years later. What they taught in 30 AD or thereabout, it's still being taught. I want to say, I want to believe, I am convinced it's still being taught from this pulpit. The doctrine of the apostles, the apostles' doctrine. And it's called the apostles' doctrine because they were the speakers. They were the teachers. They were the instructors. They were the ones that were given the responsibility to establish this church. And that just you know, blows my mind to think about what a responsibility rested upon their shoulders. What a responsibility. What a responsibility. And what a responsibility of the man that stands behind that pulpit that we call pastor. That we look to for instruction, for direction. My, my. And that's awesome to think about. What if he gets into false doctrine? He's not going to do that. But, you know, other churches, so-called apostolic Pentecostal churches, have erred, left the, the doctrine of the apostles and picked up their own teachings and opinions and theories. So sometimes in reading a passage, at least I find myself guilty of it, we fail to fully grasp or to understand the significance of what we are reading. Twelve men 
Oh my, Jesus, what confidence, what trust you had in 12, some, four of them are just fishermen. And one of them, above all things, was an IRS agent uh, or something like that. And, and these, these 12 men, they were not supernatural fellers. They were not high intellectual fellers. They were common, common, common people mainly. Hey, that, that sure makes me feel good. But the, the people believed and accepted the teachings of the apostles. I know we don't have a lot of, in our Bible, in our New Testament. We have some. We have enough to know that they didn't all stay that way that there were those that didn't agree with them. Paul dealt very strongly to the churches in Galatia because they were allowing the false doctrine or false teachers of uh, Judaizers to try to take them back under the law, and Paul was rebuking them. You've ran well, but you, you're running in vain like you're running now. Anyway... But anyway, there were, in fact, one time John said, they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they no doubt would have remained or stayed with us. So even in that day, in the days of the apostles, there were those that were erring from the truth. And some of us, some of us has been around a while, we know, we know of those who were seem like strong advocates of Jesus' name, one God, holy God, living tongue-talking, apostolic-believing that are not like that today. They have erred from the truth. I remember a church, particularly right here, thinking right now, of here in Indiana, northern Indiana, there was a strong apostolic church. And the father of the, of the, the pastor, when he grew a, of an age that he felt like uh, he needed somebody else to take over, turned it over to his son, and his son turned that church completely around, became charismatic, and uh, forsook, as it were, uh, the true apostles' doctrine. God help us. MPC, stay strong. Amen. MPC, let's remain with the apostles' doctrine. Amen. So the plan of, think about this. The plan of salvation rested on what these 12 men would say. Whew, that's scary. The plan of salvation, the church, the future of the church, depended on what these, particularly that one man by the name of Peter. And when Peter stood up, and preached that great message, and then, then it stirred the people, and the people said, what shall we do? And Peter answered that question in verse 38, and he gave us the plan of salvation, the plan of entrance into the church, repentance, water baptism, in the name of Jesus Christ, and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, that's the church. That's the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's it. That is it. And so for 2,000 years almost, that's still the message. It's still in there. 
Acts 2.38 is still right there. It hasn't, I know some of the Bibles, so-called Bibles, have changed it. It's kind of like, in a way, the Catholic Church, they have all these images that they pray to, and they want to holy, holy fi Mary as well, so they, they do pray to her. But anyway, anyway, they have all these images, but the Bible says, the commandments say, you're not to have any images. So what did the Catholic Church do? Well, I'll tell you what they did. That commandment, that second commandment that commands and demands no images, they just took it out. And they went to that 10th commandment and split it in two. They still got 10, but one of them's missing, really. And that 10th one doesn't belong there like it is. Like they, Why did I say that? Anyway, what I'm saying is, let's stay with the truth. I don't care if it hurts Uncle John and Aunt Sally. Stay with the truth. The apostles' doctrine is what we need to, to spend our time in embracing. That familiar passage in Matthew 16 and 18 that where the Bible says, And I say unto thee, thou art Peter, that thou art Peter upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against him. That's awesome. But read the next verse. I will give unto thee, speaking not just to Peter, but I guess Peter was the one that was mainly the spokesman. I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You know, if you want to get weird because Peter had, he had the authority when he stood up that day, there were 11 men that stood there behind him or thereabout. If we count Matthias up that were classified apostles. If Peter had said, Repent and be baptized in my name. What would they do about it? That would be what we have when we get baptized people in the name of Peter. Isn't that something? How else would you look at it? He had the authority. He had the authority to say how it ought to be said. And he said it the right way, of course. I know that's silly, but I say silly things sometimes. What the apostles taught was binding. It's binding. Back over there in Revelation 22, it says, If any man take away from the words of this book a prophecy, God will take away his part out of the book of life, out of the holy city, and so on. So, don't change it. Just leave it alone. I mean, remember that old song? Leave it alone. Tis God's blessed book. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. And Brother Shepherd sung, sung that, this good book. What shall we do? What shall we do? We're going to say Acts 2.38. Acts 2.38. I was... almost wish it didn't show that time up there. But please don't take it away. I, I need it more bold, maybe. But anyway, let me just hurriedly go through some things that the apostles taught 
for instance, and, and my, mean, my purpose of doing this, here's, I'm going to show you Peter, I'm going to show you Paul. Paul was not one of the original 12. He was chosen, he was born, born out of due season, he said. And God chose him on the road to Damascus. He was saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized, as Ananias said, arise and be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord. He made his way off over into Arabia or somewhere and spent about three years there. Jesus appeared to him personally to teach him personally like he had taught those 12 back yonder on concerning the gospel and the plan of salvation in, in his word. So we have an example of Peter and the example of Paul. They both taught the same thing. They didn't butt heads when it came to the plan of salvation. They both taught baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.21, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, taking it as someone being buried, the resurrection, of, they have been buried in the name of Jesus Christ. This was written some 30 years after Pentecost thereabout. In Acts chapter 10, we have the example of Cornelius' house, Peter answered in verse 47, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. The apostle Peter, he had the keys. He had the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That's why they called him over to Samaria. When Philip had that tremendous revival in Samaria and all these people had been baptized in Jesus' name, in Acts chapter 8, they called, they, they didn't have the Holy Ghost because they weren't Jews. They were a mixed breed, Samaritans. And so they called for Peter and John. Peter came with the keys and he laid hands on those Samaritans. He and John, they received the Holy Ghost and he opened the door for them. The apostle Peter, with the keys, opened the door of salvation for the church with Acts 2.38, and it can't be shut. It can't be shut. I don't care what uh, Professor Tinkling Symbol says or anybody else. It is forever settled. Acts 2.38 is the plan of salvation. Amen. I'm saying that to you that's looking online. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 13, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? You know what he's saying, don't you? You know what he's asking. You weren't baptized in my name. You were baptized in the name of the one that died for you. In Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family of heaven and earth is named Jesus. We are Jesus' name. We're not Jesus only, but we are Jesus' name. One God. Romans 6, know ye not that so many of us as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized in his death. We are buried with him in baptism. Colossians 3, 17, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do how? Woo, do all. Do in word, in deed. 
both. Baptism is a word and it's a deed as well. But whatever you do, do in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. Colossians 3, 27, as many as of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. We put on that name when we were baptized in his name. So Peter and John taught the same thing. They were not in conflict. Now there was conflict among the apostles or the preachers. We know that between Barnabas and Paul, don't we? Though we butted head, they butted heads because Barnabas wouldn't take Mark and Paul said, nope, he left us back yonder. I'm not taking him this time. And they got into a little squabble. And so they, 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 they left, they departed from one another. Barnabas took Mark, Paul took Silas, and they went their separate ways. But my point is, they didn't divide doctrinally. They didn't separate when it comes to Acts 2.38. We don't know exactly what happened to Barnabas and Mark, but we do know what happened to Paul and Silas, don't we? But they continue. As far as the Holy Spirit baptism, being baptized, Peter very plainly tells us this in Acts chapter 8 and verse 14 through 17. That's I've already word, uh, referred to, so let's not take time to read it. But they went to lay hands on the Samaritans so that they could receive the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 10, again, going back to Carlelius' house, while Peter was speaking the word, the Holy Ghost fell on Carlelius and his family, and they began to speak in tongues. And the Jews, the six Jews, that when Peter said, why, they received the Holy Ghost just like we did. The evidence is the same. Paul, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 19, as far as the Holy Ghost, he met those 12 disciples from Ephesus, and that's the first thing he asked them. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And, of course, you know the story there. And before he was finished, they were baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, Paul said, It's by one Spirit we're all baptized into one body. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, beginning, You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be the Spirit of God dwell in you. <clears throat> now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, if any man does not have the Holy Ghost, he is none of his. And then in verse 11, I like this. If the Spirit of him that raised him, if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, Amen. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, make alive your mortal bodies by the spirit that dwelleth in. They both taught about the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. I would to God that everybody that calls himself apostolic would preach the same thing. Amen. And I don't understand. I don't understand. Now, anybody can see anything other than what the Apostle Peter taught. We could go on and on, but the time is going on and on too. And uh, some of y'all want to go to McDonald's or someplace like that. But anyway, we're going to close because I want to, I want to stay sweet in your presence. <clears throat> Amen. But we're talking about the apostles' doctrine. And I'm, 
I feel so comfortable and confident. And I think it's a tremendous feeling. I think it's a tremendous feeling to know that you and I, as Jesus' name, one God, Jesus' name baptized, Holy Ghost filled, evidenced by speaking in tongues. We're believing, we're teaching the same thing we read in Acts and what Peter taught. Amen. That's why, I guess we could say it that way, that's why we say we are apostolic, but we're Pentecostal. We have a Pentecostal experience because we have received the same thing that they received in Acts chapter 2. We are apostolic in doctrine because we're teaching the same thing that Peter and Paul and all the other apostles taught. My, my, don't you feel secure? Amen. Don't you feel comfortable? Amen. That I'm not, I'm not searching here. Oh, Lord, is this real? Am I really real? Am I really teaching the truth? Am I really believing the right thing? Because look at all these hundreds of churches, hundreds of different religions, and every last one of them will tell you they are saved. They are saved. Somebody's wrong. I know that's plain and maybe shouldn't be said, but I said it. Somebody's wrong. My pastor used to say, anytime any two people disagree on anything, one of them has got to be wrong. And both of them could be. Amen. I stand here, if you'll stand with me, I stand here as a one God, Jesus' name baptized, Holy Ghost filled child of God, that believes in one God and that his name is Jesus, that there is but one Lord, one faith, one baptism, that there is but one church. Jesus said, I will build my church and even the gates of hell will not prevail against this church. This church. Thank God for the church. Thank God for the doctrine of the apostles. Thank God for the truth. Thank God for security. Thank God for his word. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to the MPC podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorachurch.com to learn more about our ministry.